Welcome to this week's episode of Odds and Ends with Mike Tice. My guest this week is offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons, Dirk Cutter, talking about the explosiveness of the offense of the Atlanta Falcons in the 2019 season. And we'll also talk to horse trainer Mike Stidham, who was born into the sport. His dad was a jockey, trainer, and jocks agent for the five-time derby winner, the great Bill Hartack. And let's flash back to episode two of Odds and Ends with Mike Tice when we had on Hall of Fame trainer Bob Baffert. Bob gave us a couple two-year-olds that day, one of which came out to win eight rings, first time out on the 4th of August. The second was Garth, who came out and ran second. On episode two of Odds and Ends, we had on John Sadler. John gave us two two-year-olds, first-time starters, in Coder, who won on the 7th of August and paid $8 at Del Mar, and Inspiresa, a two-year-old Philly first-time starter who came out and won on August 11th. Not a bad start to Odds and Ends with Mike Tice. I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the weather is clear, can do, can do. This guy says the horse can do, if he says the horse can do. Welcome back to Odds and Ends with Mike Tice. My first guest this week is offensive coordinator from the Atlanta Falcons, Dirk Cutter, former head coach in National Football League, former head coach in the collegiate level, and now back for a second stint as offensive coordinator with the Atlanta Falcons. Dirk, how's training camp going so far? And you're in a preseason game, so it goes a little quickly now, doesn't it? Yeah, now that you're uh, kind of getting in a routine and uh, we're going into our third game Thursday night, uh, I'm a routine guy, so I, I like that. But, you know, training camp's not like the old days. I mean, we don't, you know, the way the rules are now with the days off, and uh, it's just not as long and tiring as it used to be, but it's, it's still very necessary to get everybody ready for the regular season. Yeah, just to get their legs underneath them and make sure they're fit so they don't have any of those soft tissue injuries, as you know. And and then you hope when you do play, I see in the first two games, uh, the Hall of Fame game against Denver and then against Miami, didn't play anybody. Of course, nobody's playing anybody at this point. You come up this week, Dirk, against the Jets in your third preseason game. Are you planning on playing anybody or are you going to – as you know, Mike, in uh, South Florida in the preseason, we, we got to the stadium last week, and uh, it was a torrential downpour. And even though they just put a new grass field in there that was very nice, coach just didn't feel like it was worth the risk on a wet field to, to put some of our starters out there. But uh, we're playing at home this week in uh, Mercedes Dome, and uh, we, we plan on playing uh, just about everybody. Well, that's good. And uh, I know Matt had some uh, great things to say about Jake Matthews, that he was having a great camp and looking really good. So that's always uh, comforting for a quarterback to have that backside protected. But I want to talk about the quarterback situation a little bit. I know you have Matt Schaub. He's been around quite a while from Virginia. You just brought in Matt Sims. Uh, tell us, uh, we know what we have with uh, Matt Ryan, but tell us how the backup situation is going this, at this point, Dirk. Yeah, well, you know, I think people forgot that uh, Matt Schaub was a was a heck of a quarterback in this league. And, uh, you know, back in the old days when we were coaching at Jacksonville, you know, they were rolling down in, at Houston with Matt Schaub as the quarterback. And, you know, he's getting up there in age a little bit, but he's he's been in this system 
oh, for over 10 years in this uh, Shanahan-based offensive system. He's a really good complement to Matt Ryan. And, you know, uh, Shabby didn't, didn't play his best football in that Hall of Fame game in week one. But the last week against the Dolphins, that first half, uh, he was pretty sharp, 12 out of 17 for like 175 yards. And uh, I think he's a very capable backup. You know, we were real excited about our young guy, uh, second-year guy Kirk Bankert out of University of Virginia. Right. Uh, unfortunately, uh, he suffered an injury in the Hall of Fame game, and uh, so we had to bring Matt Sims back, had been with the Falcons before, uh, familiar with the system, and, and he went in on, on just three days' notice, played the whole second half last week against the Dolphins, and did a nice job. Well, that's encouraging. You, you know you need that depth. And the thing about Matt uh, uh, Schaub that I like is a smart Virginia guy. He doesn't need all those reps, and I'm sure – I haven't been around him much, but I'm sure that he uh, is really good in the classroom and really good for Matt Ryan. Yeah, he's he's really good in the in the classroom, and like you said, he doesn't he doesn't need a lot of reps. Uh, you know, Matt Matt Schaub is a big man. Matt Schaub is you know six six and uh, two hundred and forty pounds. It's hard to knock down. Uh, we had a nice little red zone drill and and uh, practice today, and they were bringing the house at him and. He was making all the right checks against zero coverage well, with our second group out there. So, uh, you know how it is, Coach Tice. Everyone thinks that, you know, that they don't have a, a good backup. But one of the best things a backup quarterback can have is experience. You got that right because you're not going to get the reps. So we talked about Julio. I read, and I could be mistaken, but I read he wasn't going to play at all in preseason. In fact, I saw he made a comment. You have Muhammad Sanu. Uh, I believe the Rutgers kid. Uh, and then I'm reading about some other talented uh, young receivers behind those guys, Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage, uh, then uh, 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 Justin Hardy still there. Can you talk about the receiving core? It looks like you could have one of the better and uh, deeper and expl- most explosive receiving cores in, in National Football League. Can you comment, comment and tell the fans about that, Dirk? Yeah, sure. We you know, uh, Calvin Ridley was a first-round pick two years ago out of Alabama, so he's just going into his second year and had really good stats as a rookie, uh, explosive player, really good quickness, and uh, it gives you, with Julio on the other side, it gives you two two really fast guys that can, that can win their one-on-ones. I think the guy that's the most underrated is uh, our slot player, Mohamed Sanu, you know, the we got him. Uh, the Falcons got him from Cincinnati uh, two or three years ago, and Mohammed's got size. He can play inside. He can play outside. Extremely smart. Great hands. Uh, so, you know, he he's every team needs that receiver who can not only run the options and the choice routes, but also will do the dirty work and go in there and and block the support player on runs. And then you mentioned a couple young guys. Uh, Russell Gage and Christian Blake, with Julio out, those guys have gotten a lot of a lot of game time, and uh, they played a little bit last year for the Falcons. Both of those guys can really run, and uh, you know you you always need some young receivers in the pipeline that are that are coming up because you know the uh, Julio's not going to be going out there every play. He's not going to be practicing every day. 
And uh, when he's out, you need a guy that can go in there and, and be ready to go. So uh, Russ Gage and uh, Christian Blake are battling for those uh, fourth and fifth spots. That's exciting to hear. And, and having that depth, uh, any of those guys give you anything on special teams, Dirk? Yeah, uh, Russ Gage, is uh, he's a really good special teams player as a gunner and uh, like a corner on punt return. He uh, – he does play a lot on teams. And then uh, we also have a uh, another receiver, Justin Hardy, out of East Carolina. Right. Can play all the spots. If you go 10 personnel, he can, right. he can play any of the spots. And he's also a real good player on special teams. And 10 personnel for all you fans out there is when there's no tight ends on the field. It's a one back and, and four wide receivers. Let's move on to one of my favorites uh, when I was there in Atlanta, Devonta Freeman. I really played only two games last year. Uh, the things I've read, he seems really excited about being back. Uh, he should be uh, healthy, uh, but there's some, and he's going to bring everything you need to have a successful offense in this league. Be able to run the ball, catch the ball out of the backfield, really good in the screen game. Uh, but then you have some guys behind him: Brian Hill, uh, Ito Smith, Kenyon Barner, and the rookie Allison. Can you tell other fans a little bit about those those uh, kids? Yeah, sure. Uh, as you mentioned, Mike, the, I think one of the biggest keys for us is keeping Devontae Freeman healthy. Uh, the kid is one of the best all-around backs in the league. I mean, he can really do everything, and yeah, he is he is back to full strength this year and has looked great in practice. You know, Ito Smith and Brian Hill both came in for the Falcons last year and and had some had some bright moments. They both run hard, uh, maybe not quite as good a threat as Freeman in the past game, but hard runners, good in protection, good good special teams players as well. Kenyon, Kenyon Barner is a kid from Oregon. He's been in the league for five years, primarily been used as a returner, and he's doing that for us as well. And he had a he had about a 30-yard touchdown play on a screen pass last week at Miami that was just, you know, you can see his explosiveness in the open field. Then you mentioned the rookie, uh, Allison, from uh, Pitt. He's more of a power back. Uh, he had a nice 15-yard touchdown run last week against Miami. And, you know, he's coming along, also does, does a, lot of, uh, a lot of things on special teams. He's a PP on the punt team. So... That's going to be a good battle. You know, we're not going to probably be able to keep keep all five of those guys. So uh, there's some there's some uh, jobs at stake here as as we wind down the preseason. Yeah, oh, that's fun stuff, though, boy. When you have a bunch of good backs in the in the uh, in the uh, kennel there, and you got guys that can do a lot of different things, like you said, come out of the backfield, catch the ball, play special teams. You add that that extra value, boy. That's going to make it hard for you guys coming down the road here, and that's pretty good to have those hard decisions, that means you're getting better as a football team. My position, but not like this, because I never caught 71 balls. I think it took me 10 years to catch 71 balls. But Austin Hooper out of Stanford, the tight end, coming off a 71-catch season in 2018, he's going to bring you that uh, extra dimension you need also if you're in 11 personnel, three wide receivers and one tight end and one back. He's going to be able to win some of those matchups, isn't he, Dirk? Yeah, Hoop's uh, Hoop is uh, faster than you think he is. He's kind of he's got one of those Gumby type bodies, long arms, and he 
he's too athletic for a linebacker. He's too big for a safety, and he runs better than you think he does. Has a really good uh, connection with Matt Ryan, the quarterback. He trains with Matt all in the offseason, both here in Atlanta and in California. They, they go out and train in Southern California. Uh, always available on checkdowns and, and little option routes inside. He's still a vertical threat. You know, the, one of the things with Mike Malarkey back here, we have a pretty good size 22 and 13 package, you know, where you have multiple tight ends and only one receiver in the game. Right. And having a, a guy like Hooper that when those teams pack it in there to stop the run, a lot of, a lot of defenses will take a corner out and put an extra safety in. Uh, Hoop lets you run like all your slot passing game and your hard play actions out of your wing sets, and he can still get vertical and be the be the complement to the say if you got Julio as your single receiver. Well, and that's exciting because when you have a guy that can win those matchups against those safeties, as you well know, you can get uh, very explosive out of those packages, those thirteen and twenty-two personnel packages. That's good stuff. We'll finish up with. Uh, my expertise a little bit, the offensive line. I read something around the draft where Mr. Blank said, uh, Arthur said, uh, I know one thing over the years I've noticed, that Matt Ryan's a better quarterback when he's vertical and not horizontal. And then you guys went out in free agency, brought in at least four guys, James Carpenter, Brown, Geddes, Wetzel, and then you drafted uh, two players in the first round, one out of Boston College and Chris Lindstrom, who I read is – he, he, should, he, he might still be uh, uh, starting with you guys at one of the guard positions. And then Caleb McGarry's had a couple health issues. Um, I started with the show with talking about how Jake Matthews is playing really well right now, but then you have that center that I love, that Alex Mack. Tell me a little bit about the starting offensive line and some of the depth, and I know you're busy. I'll let you go, but uh, let's finish with the guys that I like to coach. Yeah, well, you you would love starting with – we got two – two Pro Bowl players on that offensive line. And Alex Mack at center has been a Pro Bowler uh, for a long time, and I've admired him from afar for several years. And now seeing how he is in the meeting room and how he is in practice, wow, he is impressive. And you know firsthand about, about Jake Matthews. You were here when we drafted Jake. And for me, after being gone for four years, and Jake made his first Pro Bowl last year, Mike, you would you would really be impressed at how much bigger and stronger Jake has. You know, he he came into the league as a as a young man, and now he is all man. I Uh-oh. mean, he has grown up, That's and boy, awesome. he is a physical player. You know, he he might have got uh, you know he got exposed a little bit as a rookie because he's going against the best pass rushers in the world. Absolutely, but boy, he is so so confident in the way he's playing. You'd really like this Chris Lindstrom kid that we drafted number one out of Boston College. He's playing right guard for us, and and, uh, he's going to be an excellent pro. You know, the people up in your area in Seattle, Caleb McGarry out of UW, we also traded up to draft him in the first round. Uh, He's he's battling with Ty Sambrillo for the right tackle job. Uh, He had a little setback, a little health issue, but he's he's missed the last two weeks, but uh, it looks like he's going to be able to start back with us pretty soon here he got off to a good start and uh you know hopefully he'll, he'll be back with us uh, pretty soon we got a battle going on at left guard between the two free agents we brought in okay uh james carpenter uh, from the jets right. and jamon brown 
who spent time with both the Rams and the Giants last year, for people that follow the Falcons, I think the main thing is we just got a lot bigger inside. The bigger. Falcons the last few years have kind of been known as a team with smaller, quicker guards. And, you know, we, we wanted to, to get firmer and more powerful up front. And, and Thomas Dimitrov and Coach Quinn went out and did that, both free agency and the draft. And more physical from what I've read. And some of these guys uh, are physical players. And I, I agree with you on Alex Mag. I went to Cal and worked him out coming out and fell in love with him. It just didn't work out uh, for us to get him. Uh, it sounds like you guys are moving in, the, in, the, in a great direction. Um, I see Coach Dungy came out and, and picked you guys as one of their one of the sleeper teams, along with Jacksonville out of the AFC. I think you guys can be one of the most explosive offenses in the league, especially getting Devontae Freeman back. Uh, best of luck the rest of the camp. Best of luck this week against the Jets, and stay healthy. Say hi to the family. Uh, say hi to Bernie Parmalee from me, and uh, and uh, thanks for coming on, Dirk. Yeah, appreciate you having me, Mike. And I know you got a lot of fans on your podcast. I want I want your fans to hear from someone who's worked with you on two different teams. Uh, how much I respect you and how much you taught me as a football coach. I'm quoting you every day in the meeting rooms, and uh, uh, the NFL misses you. I hope you're enjoying retirement because you're one hell of a football coach. Thanks, Dirk. Have a great have a great rest of the training camp, man. All right, man. Take care. All right, bye. Welcome back to this week's Odds and Ends with Mike Tice. My next guest is trainer extraordinaire, Midwest, East Coast, West Coast, you name it, Michael Stidham. Mike, how you doing, my man? Doing great, Mike, and uh, glad glad to be on the show. Thanks for having me. I want to take uh, my fans back to a little bit of history, how you got going in the horse racing. Your father, George, was a jockey uh, at first, and uh, on the East Coast, is that correct, Mike, or did he ride on both coasts? Yeah, he st- he started riding in the East Coast, uh, Charlestown, New Jersey, New York, uh, those tracks. And then he became a trainer, and then uh, and then he also uh, was very close to the great Bill Hartack and became not only uh, at times his uh, as his jockey's agent, and we talked to jockey's agent Brad Pegram last week but also his business manager, and uh, they must have had a great career and a great relationship, those two guys, and your dad and, and Bill. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Tell the fans a little bit about that relationship. Well, back in the late 50s and early 60s, Partak, uh, you know, became probably the elite uh, jockey in the country. Him and Bill Shoemaker um, were the top uh Partak was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Time Magazine for breaking records, you know, that no one had even heard of at the time. And uh, and so my dad was uh, actually at the end of his riding career, and Partak was so big in the game that uh, he actually needed a business manager, and my dad became his kind of right-hand man, t- taking care of, you know, uh, whatever needed to be done. And uh, it was a great relationship. Uh Partak was a fiery kind of a guy, and uh, you never knew when he was going to fire his agent. And when he when he decided to fire this agent or that agent, uh, he had my dad George sitting there and uh, ready to take over if he needed him. So it was uh, it was a good relationship, and 
you know, I, I was lucky enough to be a kid growing up back then and uh, got to hang out with Hardtack, and he was like a big, big kid when he wasn't uh, riding. And, uh, you know, we used to go to the amusement park and do all kinds of stuff with Bill, but uh, great guy, and, uh, and yeah, it, it was great growing up around Bill. And, and, of course, a legend in the game. And talk to the fans a little bit, if you will, Mike, about – the uh, charity event that's uh, and the award that's given out each year that uh, was started was it started by uh, Judge Eddie Saper and uh, who was that started by Mike? Yeah, so uh, Judge Eddie Saper from New Orleans, um, who I know Mike uh, is a good friend with also. But anyway, him and I uh, we were close with Bill, and when he passed away, uh, we decided that. Uh, you know, we needed to do something to keep Bill Hartack's name alive and keep him out there as far as the younger people in the business that didn't really know who he was. Uh, he won five Kentucky Derbies um, out of only 13 tries. Um, the only other rider to win five was Eddie Arcaro, and he he uh, it took him uh, 26 uh, tries to actually uh, win five. But so anyway, Bill was you know, in that elite group. And we felt like if we didn't do something to keep his name out there, um, you know, people were going to forget who he was. And uh, so every year uh, we have an event where we present the the jockey that won the Kentucky Derby from that year. We give a Bill Hartack uh, charitable foundation ring that we have made up. It's, it sort of looks like, a, a, like a, what a Super Bowl ring would look uh, for an NFL player, but uh, it's a beautiful ring with a bunch of diamonds on it and a horse, uh, and it, it has Bill Hartack Charitable Foundation on it. But it's uh, it's been fun. We along the way we um, raise money for charitable uh, racetrack related um, charities, and uh, it's it's been fun. And and like I say, it keeps Bill's name out there, and 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 so he's not forgotten. And where do they have this event, Mike? Is it different each year? Is it the same location? Well, yeah, it moves around, and, and really it depends on if it's an East Coast rider or a West Coast rider. We try to accommodate the rider and and take it to where they they can be available, um, you know, to receive the award. That's nice, and that's a that's a great program and a great thing that you guys have started. I know Ted Dowd, our friend Ted Dowd, is involved in that, and he's always talking about it and was able to see some of the past programs that you guys put together and uh, keep up the great work on that. And hopefully some of the fans out there will look up, look it up on the Internet and see if there's a way they can help. Right, Mike? Absolutely. They can go to Bill Hartack Charitable Foundation dot uh, org and um, and look at it. And we appreciate any help. Well, you started uh, and you got your first training license when you were 21. You wanted to be a veterinarian. Um Probably got bored with that. I don't blame you. And so uh, you got your first training license when you were 21 years old. You won your first graded stake in 1988 with a horse named Manzotti. I believe we talked that was at Pimlico in the John B. Campbell Hanley. That was a grade three race. And so that really got you going and got you started with the uh, with the better horses because I'm sure when you first started out, you probably had some cast-offs from your dad or something. Yeah, well... Actually, my dad uh, told me, he says, look, uh, I I had a hard time making it on the racetrack as a jockey. Trainers, it's the same way. It's either uh, chicken or feathers. 
And uh, he says, I don't want you being in the category of the one to eating the feathers. So he says, uh, if you're going to be on the racetrack, go to school, get an education, get a diploma, and, and, and be a veterinarian uh, so you have something to fall back on. He says, uh, and so I lasted, you know, about two years in college and said, get me out of here. I got to be on the racetrack. I love the action. And uh, before you know it, I was back and assisting my dad uh, who was training at the time and then uh, not long after that uh, went on started training myself and went uh, started in Southern California in 1980. Well you know it's exciting I watch TVG a lot and I'm sure a lot of the fans out there that are horse people do too and they're doing a segment right now which I think is really neat they should do a segment on you is uh, born into the game and uh, obviously listening to the first part of this interview you were definitely born into the game and uh, it's in your blood it's a passion and uh, you could hear that in your voice you're training at 18 percent wins now you normally you'll end up the year in the 20s you usually do 2.6 million plus in purses 61 million dollars in purses lifetime you're a young man you still got a lot of nice horses in your barn and have had a lot of, lot of nice horses couple of grade one winners i want to talk about zepesa i remember that day first lady stakes at keeneland in 2017 tell us a little bit about that horse because that was a big day for you i remember that texting you on that day yes it was um this is a filly that we had purchased uh, as a yearling, and uh, so we had her uh, from the very beginning. Um, she went right up uh, the ladder in, in class and uh, won uh, a listed stake early on and then um, not, was knocking on the door in um, grade, grade two and, and grade one stakes, but we just hadn't gotten the win. And, you know, for a filly or a mare, uh, getting that grade one, uh, status is what really takes you over the top and we we kept trying and she was you know seconds and thirds in those kind of races and when we won the first lady uh it was just absolutely a huge win um it it put her value uh up over a million dollars and uh that's what you know all the owners are looking for and and as a trainer you know to win the grade one is is what we all dream about so it was a big day, and uh, we got it done. So that was it. Was a beautiful thing. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was a really good thing. It was a good thing for the wallet too. I enjoyed that part of it. <laughs> to to Altazano, back in 1994, uh, you won the Coaching Club American Oaks uh, with that filly. Was it a filly, or was that an older? Uh, it, that was a yeah. That was a three-year-old filly. Yeah, that was nice. And then Tizaquina, Upper Line, Wilcox in. Istin Ford, these are some of the horses that I've followed uh, in your career over the last uh, decade or so uh, since we met. And uh, But I, what I want to talk about, Mike, is these two-year-olds. I know this past weekend you won two-year-old, two two-year-old maiden special uh, races, and I think you got a couple coming out. But let's talk about this past Saturday at Arlington. Crafty Angel paid thirteen eighty to win. Two-year-old filly owned by Godolphin. Talk about that filly a little bit, and talk about the other filly, Call on Mischief, that uh, won at Monmouth this weekend. Well, first of all, I mean, uh, really, trainers are made by the horses and uh, the clients that you train for that provide those horses. And uh, Crafty Angel is owned by Godolphin. Um, we're, we were lucky enough to start training for Sheikh Mohammed back uh, 
three years ago, and every year we get, you know, a pretty good uh, group of two-year-olds led into the barn, and they're all bred by the top stallions out of top grade one, uh, grade one winning mares, and so certainly that makes my job a lot easier. But Crafty Angel was a first-time starter for Godolphin. Um, she, she won going long on the grass first time out. And, uh, you know, she touted us in the morning. We, we liked her a lot going into that race and, uh, it was, it was a great win. Um, nice to get started like that. And we look forward to bigger things with her down the road. And then likewise with call on mischief, she's owned by Phoenix thoroughbreds. And, uh, we just recently started training for them and, you know, she's by Into Mischief, another one that had really done some great things in the morning, and we thought a lot of her going into it, and uh, she also got it done first time out. So, you know, it's big uh, big for a trainer to be able to train those kind, and um, and we were lucky to get it done. So um, we got some other nice two-year-olds coming up. Yeah, and uh, there there's a couple of horses that I saw looking at the their early forms. You have one Thursday, uh, another maiden special weight, two year old filly. This one's going six furlongs on the dirt. Larimar, uh, great on the on the third race in the third race at Colonial Downs, and then I see on Friday you have another horse in the first race, a maiden two year old, going long again, mile sixteenth on the turf. Barley won, and you got Johnny V on up. Can you tell us, uh, tell the fans a little bit about those two horses? Sure. Um, Larimar um, made her, had her first start at Monmouth uh, a few weeks ago, and she was another one in the mornings that uh, had been doing good things. We actually liked her a lot in her first start, and she wound up um, second, uh, ran a really good race, and now we're coming back over at Colonial Downs with her, and She's done nothing but uh, move forward since that race. So I think she's going to be really, really tough to beat in that race. Um, so she's one definitely to be watching on Thursday. And then Barley won. Um, he's in New York bred. Uh, first time out, we had him slated to run uh, on the grass. He came off the turf. And um, he ran decent, but definitely need. we knew he needed a little more ground and probably the grass, so we've got him going long on Friday on the turf against New York Reds. we got Johnny V, Hall of Famer, uh, never go wrong there, and I think the turf and the distance is going to move him up, so he's another one uh, definitely to be watching for. That that sounds like a good weekend, a good start of a weekend for me. Uh, I don't know if the fans out there are going to ride with me, but I'm riding on those two horses. Anything else you can tell us about before you check out uh, that you might be entering or have coming up, especially the two-year-olds, Mike? I know the fans like to hear about the two-year-olds. Yeah, we've got a, another first-time starter uh, on Saturday. Um, we just entered today at Colonial Downs. Uh, her name is Zoysia. And um, she's another one. She's she's on the turf. She's going five and a half on the grass. And she's been, uh, you know, doing some good things in the morning. So she, she's one definitely to be watching for at Colonial on Saturday. One, one that we're kind of proud of that is not a two-year-old, but we're excited. Uh, we're sending a, Philly na- a three-year-old filly named Classic Fit out to Del Mar to run in the Torrey Pines on saturday oh so, excellent um she was second last time out in the mother goose 
to Dunbar Road, Chad Brown Philly, that is one of the top three-year-old fillies in the country. So we think uh, we think Classic Fit's going to be tough to beat in the Torrey Pines on Saturday. Well, when did Classic? Uh, when did she break her maiden at uh, uh, Fairgrounds? Cla- classic Fit. Um, I'm trying to. I don't have it in front of me. But I'm trying to trying to remember, but. Check she, check with Hillary. Won- Don't you have Hillary? Yeah, check yeah, with Hillary. Hillary. Right. <laughs> check with Hill. Without Hillary, <laughs> without Hillary, the Stidham operation would fold. And so believe we me, need Hillary. <laughs> and believe me, my wife and Diane, and my wife Diane and I know that. So we. <laughs> uh, well, say hi to but, you, uh, say no, hi. No, Go ahead. No, I was going to say classic fit. She she won a little uh, listed stake uh, at uh, Gulfstream. Last year, and she's come back and was second in a in a grade two in her um, in her first start this year. Uh, so we're we're excited about her. She's another Godolphin owned filly that we think has a, a really really big future. And then I'll ask you because that kind of helps me with how deep I delve into my wallet. Uh, where are you going to be watching that race? Are you going to be in California? Or are you going to be back east? Actually, I've I've deputized uh, a another Hall of Famer to saddle for me at Del Mar. Uh, Richard Mandela is gonna, oh, nice. gonna saddle for uh, uh, for me. He's, he's a, a he, dear friend and 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 a great guy and a great trainer. And he's having a great year too, by the way. Uh, another bet, trainer that's bet. having a great by, year. By the way, Hillary just informed me that Classic Fit broker maiden at Mammoth, so oh, okay. for the record. All right, so I was wrong. I, I'm mixing her up with another really nice horse that you have. You have a bunch of them in your barn. Okay, make sure you keep your uh, website updated. I've been tell I told you on the phone before that you know, I go in there to get information on uh, a lot of these trainers and stuff, and they don't update <laughs> update their websites. I see that yours is updated, so that's pretty good. <laughs> that's very helpful. But thanks for taking the time. Uh, safe travels. You're, I think you're driving down from Saratoga to where Monmouth now, or what? What you got going on? Yeah, we're head, head, heading back south from Saratoga. We were there at the sale and bought a bought a New York bread out of the New York bread sale just yesterday. So we're heading back to to training at Monmouth. Well, uh, congratulations on a great year to this point. Keep it going. Have a lot of great meats because you're running out a lot of meats and. Uh, Say hi to Hillary, and please say hi to your mom and the girls and uh, three daughters, right? Stephanie, Samantha, and Camille. Who, who did uh, who did Diane's hair down there in New Orleans? Who was that? That was that was the oldest, Stephanie, uh, uh, and she, she uh, yeah, she's in New Orleans and got a great uh, salon hair salon business. Yeah, I know. And Diane wants me to fly her down there to get her hair done because she said she did it the best. <laughs> <laughs> I said, wait till the spring. All right, all right, man. Good talking to you. Be good. All right, Mike. Thanks for having me, and good luck with uh, your new venture. All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's episode of Odds and Ends with Mike Tice. I'd like to thank our guests. I'd like to thank all of you who tune in and listen. And don't forget about Fast Friday tomorrow. We'll have on trainer Owen Hardy, the new president of the California Thoroughbred Trainers. Let's hear what Owen has to say about the state of racing in California. And maybe give us a winner before we let him go. Have a great day, and don't forget, tweet us at OddsNNsPod. That's O-D-D-S-N-E-N-D-S-Pod. Have a great day, and talk to you next week.